Hi everybody, my name is Michael Domingue and welcome to Strange Tales of Myth and Magic. In this podcast, we're going to explore mythology and magic and fairy tales and wives tales and maybe some snakes tales. We'll take a peek at some of the strange legends and stories throughout history and how they affected culture and how they affected me as an artist. So sit back and let me tell you a story. This week's episode, Doppelgangers. Eerie omens, mysterious lookalikes, and evil twins. So, what if you were walking down the street, you know, maybe do a little shopping, a little window shopping, and suddenly you see a bus drive by? Okay, so far so good. Nothing strange about that. Um, but what if you look a little closer, and what if what you see is that one of the passengers looks exactly like you. I mean, not just kind of like you, but exactly like you. Now, unless you have an identical twin, this certainly would be a bit of a shock. And, you, you know, you'd probably, you know, clean your glasses, maybe shake your head and just, you know, sort of assume that your mind is playing tricks on you. At least your eyes are playing tricks on you. You know, so you'd go about your day until later that night at a cocktail party, a friend of yours comes up and said, oh, it was so nice to have that little chat with you on the bus. And of course, you were never on a bus. Ooh. Now, this is what is called a doppelganger. Um, basically, literally means, in German, it means double walker. Um, it basically means another you, an, an alternative you. Now, surprisingly, this is not that uncommon, at least in mythology and legends and lore. And they usually are called different things and have slightly different traits. But by and large, they are, you know, this idea of there is an alternative to you floating around. And that's usually simultaneously. You know, it's not in place of you necessarily. It's usually while you're still roaming around, which makes it all the more disconcerting. Which typically is a little bit different than like a past life thing. So for instance, like uh, I'm sure many of you have seen the photo, the old photo of Nicolas Cage, allegedly Nicolas Cage back, I think it was a Civil War photo or something like that. And, and it is true that this old, I believe it was a tintype, does look remarkably like Nicolas Cage. And that's attributed to like, oh, you know, he had a past life and that sort of thing. I know that there was one of Christopher Reeves, kind of the same era, that looks remarkably like him. And, and so the, they would say, okay, he had a past life and he looks exactly like he did now. Now, in Hollywood, this is kind of a common thing. Now, usually in Hollywood, the idea of a, of a doppelganger is often the evil version of you, somebody taking your place. And sometimes that's supernatural, and sometimes it's, you know, somebody who has plastic surgery, sometimes it's somebody who just happens to look like you and they're trying to do evil things and get you in trouble for it. Now, for instance, in um, Superman 3, um, there is evil Superman. Um, I think he's called Black Kryptonite Superman because Black Kryptonite changes him into to evil Superman. And of course, he duels himself, good Superman versus evil Superman. Um, now, if we're sticking with the evil twin thing, um, there, of course, is Knight Rider. Remember Knight Rider? You know, the car, Kit, the car, and um, David Hasselhoff. Um, well, it turns out that there's a doppelganger in that, Well, which is actually kind of a weird doppelganger because um, 
apparently Michael Knight, I never really watched the show, but Michael Knight, the main character, David Hasselhoff, um, was a recipient of plastic surgery. Um, and his face was modeled after some guy named Garth, who's a villain. He's a bad guy. Um, so there's that. Um, oh, and by the way, the car, Kit, actually has a doppelganger too. There's an evil, evil Kit. Crazy. Um, now, my favorite doppelganger, and this is an alternate universe doppelganger, is Evil Spock. Um, evil Spock lives in sort of a, a sort of a barbaric sort of version, um, parallel universe sort of place. And uh, Kirk and some of the crew get stuck over in, in the, the barbaric version. And of course, by the way, if you are worried about evil twins, um, you were, if so, you know, if you, if you see a friend, um, the best way to tell if they're an evil twin versus the real them um, is facial hair. That's true. For instance, evil David Hasselhoff has got kind of a weird little kind of a beardy thing. Evil Superman doesn't shave very well. He's got kind of a five o'clock shadow. Evil Spock, he's got a goatee. Goatees in particular are sort of giveaways for evil twins. So if you're walking down the street, your friend has a goatee, they might be an evil twin doppelganger. So be warned. When I was a kid in the 70s, um, there was a remake of the film Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And, and this one um, featured Donald Sutherland. And the idea is that there's an alien that sort of lands on Earth, not like a you know big-headed alien, but sort of spores. And all of a sudden, these plants start growing. These big, giant pods. They've often been described as sea pods, these big, potty things. And then they're placed next to people. Um, when they sleep, sneakily placed next to people. And then um, what happens is, is that inside the pod, a duplicate of the person that it's next to pops out. Except it's not a duplicate, it's actually an alien. But they have the, you know, the body and the looks and the voice and some of the personality traits. But they're really aliens. And gradually, um, these aliens are putting pods all over the place. So, you know, the idea is they'll eventually take over the planet. Now, this is not too far off from an old fairy tale um, of changelings. Now, one of the things that I should mention is fairies are not... Everybody thinks of fairies as like, oh, they're so lovely and sweet. Okay, well, there are bad fairies too, or at least fairies that aren't, aren't so good. And... Those fairies, um, one, one version of those fairies, are trows. And they're actually closer to trolls. And perhaps that's where the name comes from, or why it's similar. But trows are um, kind of earthy fairies. I think, in fact, I believe they actually live in the earth. And they're not really pretty. They're, you know, usually you think of fairies of having fancy clothes and sparkly things. Um, these are not like that. They're very earthy and grungy looking fairies. But one of the things that they like to do is kidnap people. They have been known to kidnap musicians because they like music. So let's take, let's take a musician. But the other thing they do, the other thing they like to kidnap, are little babies. But the thing is, is they leave a replacement. A changeling, which is a... looks like your baby, but it isn't. It's, it's really a trow. 
It's it's a replica of the little baby that they're they're snatching. You know, the parents come in and they're oh my little Gwendolyn, and it's not really Gwendolyn. Um, now they probably wouldn't notice right away that it's a changeling, other than the fact that changelings tend to eat a lot. In fact, one of the reasons um, given for the reason that these these um, sinister fairies do this is because it's said that you ac they actually need. Um, human milk to survive. Uh, another version um, of why they do it is because um, apparently uh, to a, a baby trow needs a lot of resources. So you might as well ship them off to the humans and, and they can worry about feeding the little guy. Now eventually though, um, usually a changeling, uh, you'll, you'll start to notice some differences that would be uh, not normal for a human kid. Um, for instance, they're usually a lot smarter um, a lot younger. So as they get older, they're, they're just a little more, you know, with it. They, they have a little more cognitive ability than your average human. The other thing is they eat a lot. Um, and they're also um, considerably more ornery, a little more nasty. And, and it's also said they start looking uglier and uglier and uglier. Now, now some changelings um, grow up and, and never realize that they're, you know, um, a, you know, a fairy. Um, you know, which they go on and live their life, kind of a cantankerous human, basically. Um, but usually, after a certain age, they, um, you know, they know what they were, and they head back into the woods, back to their, their own kind. Now, I, I know you're worried about the human babies. I know you're concerned, like, what happens to those little human little, little babies? Well, there's no real consensus, because, you know, like myths and legends, they, they vary place to place and era to era. Um, you know, in some cases, um, they become servants and, you know, don't live a great life. So, the obviously, you'd want to try and get your kid back. Now, other versions, though, have it, you know, with these kids actually having a really nice, um, happy life with the fairies. So, as I said, it, it sort of depends. Now... The thing is, how how do you get rid of a changeling? Well, really, how do you how do you know if your kid is a changeling? Now, now, believe it or not, these are actual concerns. I mean, they're part of fairy tales, but people actually had these types of worries once upon a time. So, uh, how do you how do you um, find a changeling? Well, um, there's a couple ways. Um, one um, is to take the baby and throw it in the fire. And if it's not a changeling, well, um, oops. Um, now, if it is a changeling, all of a sudden, um, the changeling will disappear, and then um, the kidnapped baby will appear. Yay, there it is, and it's all happy, and it's in its crib, and all that stuff. Um, now, the thing is, though, the, the, con the, the problem is, is that people actually did this. People actually like, oh, let's check. But fear not, there is a safer way to do this. Um, no need to throw your kids in the fire um, because um, the easiest and safest way is to cook the entire family a meal in an eggshell. I, I, I don't exactly know what that means, but I assume it's because it's a small portion and, you know, trows love to eat a lot. Um, and, a, you know, a changeling needs to eat a lot. So if you do that, you get a tiny little portion, um, what will happen is that the trow will then say, and I quote, 
Well, I've seen the acorn before the oak, but I've never seen the like of this. And then they would disappear, poof, and in its stead, the child would appear. Yay! And they would live happily ever after, and then no mistaken people thrown in the oven. Now, in ancient Egypt, one of the beliefs that they had was that every person had what is called a ka. And in fact, the personality or the person was actually composed of nine different parts. And one of those was the ka. And what this is, is a double of the individual self. Um, the ka is essentially your vitality. It's the thing that makes you you. And it is crucial for your journey into the afterlife. You know, you may be dead, but you need your ka to stick around. You need the ka to hang around that empty vessel that was you. This double of you will essentially nourish you when you're going off doing and, you know, hanging out in the, the other worlds, the infinite other worlds that you'll be hanging out in. So, um, to keep it around your body, you, you would do things like, first off, you'd mummify the body because you need the ka to hang around the old vessel. Um, but you also need to nourish the ka like in life. So therefore, you'd make sure in the tombs there was food and wine and, and things to make your cock comfortable and feel at home, while the other part of you is off gallivanting, doing fun things in, in the netherworld. So the cod doesn't really eat the food and the wine and all the other stuff that you leave for it, but um, it, it, it supernaturally does. So I suppose maybe the food has a cod that they eat, you know, the cod eats cod food. I don't know. You know, one of the things I read also is that, you know, sometimes the body, even with mummification, does deteriorate. So um, in these tombs, there'd also be, you know, paintings or statues of the deceased. And if the body, the vessel, um, degrades, the ka would then move into these sculptures and, and portraits. And, you know, I think it's kind of a nice, nice duty the ka does, because, you know, really, I think it would kind of suck to be a ka. I mean, you know, what are you going to be hanging out in a, a room all day and night for eternity? Johann Gouda, the famous poet and playwright, um, had a very strange moving experience when he was a young chap. As it turns out, um, he came across a doppelganger of himself. And this would have been, you know, in the 1770s, and he was about 22 years old. And he actually writes about this incident. So as the story goes, um, he was in the process of, of breaking up with his girlfriend, Frederica. Um, and, you know, she was a preacher's daughter and, and of course, uh, wanted to get married. And I, I would imagine the fact that, you know, her father was a preacher. Maybe the pressure was really on for them to get married. But he was not ready for that kind of commitment. So he hops up on his horse and she's standing next to him. And, you know, he clutches her hand one last time and said, adieu. But, but this is Germany, so he probably said, auf Wiedersehen, meine Liebe. And then he rode off. Perhaps with a tear in his eye and a hollow heart. But nonetheless, he continued on his journey back home. Now, as he's riding along, um, in the distance on this road, he sees another rider. Trotting along, he's going one way, the rider's coming towards him. And as the rider gets closer, um, he notices that he's this 
man is wearing a, a pipe gray suit um, with gold trim. And then, as the rider passes him, he then noticed that it looked exactly like him. Exactly. And, and the guy was wearing a suit that he had never owned. Now, he was a bit dazed by this experience, as you can imagine you would be. You wouldn't, you wouldn't um, really click right off the bat. And he was about to address him and say, excuse me, but the mysterious writer, the mysterious doppelganger was gone. But that's not the end of the story because seven or eight years later, Johan was traveling on the very same road going the opposite direction. And he was on his way back to visit Frederica. I think they were sort of trying to work things out. And then as he's riding along, he notices he happens to be wearing a pike gray suit with gold trim. So in this case, it seems like what the doppelganger did was him, but it was him in the future, him preceding him in life. And, and this experience is not necessarily good. It's not an evil twin. Um, it, it's, not, it's not malicious. I'm, I'm quite unsettling, to be sure. But this is actually a type of doppelganger that is common in Old Norse mythology. The term for it is Valdegr. And basically, it's a premonitory experience of a person doing things before they actually do things. So, for instance, you might see Aunt Millie walk into the room, um, fix, the, uh, fix the clock on the wall and walk out, um, only to see it happen moments later with Aunt Millie fixing clock and then walking out the room. Though this time, it was for real. So apparently it's a bit more common to have this done through sound than um, something visible. I, I came across an interesting story uh, about a guy whose grandfather um, would come home and, and they'd hear his moped driving up the driveway and then they'd hear the front door open and then they hear the sound of him lugging his moped down the stairs into the basement. Um, and of course, when they checked, you know, they went to see if the grandfather was home, he wasn't home. Um, and of course, there was no moped in the basement either. And then, not long after that, all of a sudden, the moped could be heard driving up the driveway. And of course, there's the grandfather bringing his moped, bringing it down the stairs. And I, I guess this was fairly common. This would happen every so often. They'd have this same doppelganger experience. This idea of a version of you that's doing things before you reminded me a lot of um, the film Donnie Darko, um, and, which stars Jake Gyllenhaal. And, you know, it's a, one of these parallel universe sort of premised movies. And, but there's a scene in there in which the main character, Donnie, um, has this, it's like a liquid energy beam that um, sort of moves out of his chest. And it sort of, it's, it, it precedes him and he gets up and he follows this beam and it's moving just before he moves. And it knows what he's going to do before he knows what it's going to do. Um, his, it's a predestination revealed. In Ireland, there are tales of what is called a fetch. F-E-T-C-H. And now this 
is a shadowy devil. Um, and if you come across a fetch or somebody comes across a fetch of you, um, this is definitely bad news. It's an ominous precursor of, of some impending misfortune. Now, often a fetch is an omen of death. Though I have heard um, that if you see a fetch in the morning, it would mean that you live a long life. But if you see one in the evening, uh, you don't have much time. I was actually pretty amazed with how many stories I came across um, about these sort of fetch-like doppelgangers. Um, a lot of them actually with, with regal, notable people. It's said that Queen Elizabeth I uh, of England, um, she went into a room and she saw herself lying on a bed, sickly and pale. It wasn't long after that that she died. Um, Catherine the Great, Empress of Russia. Um, one night she's awoken by her servant and, and who basically says, hey, what are you doing here? I just saw you hanging out in the throne room. The Tsarina, you know, throws a robe on and, and hurries to the, to the throne. And sure enough, Catherine the Great sees herself sitting there on the throne. And Catherine the Great was not one to mess around. She immediately told her guards to shoot the doppelganger. Get her! Now, you have to, now, if you think about that, you'd, you'd probably, if you were a guard, you'd probably do that a bit hesitantly. You know, it's like one of those things like, hey, am I shooting the real one? Oh, which one? How many times have you seen that in a movie? But the guards did as she ordered, and they fired and the doppelganger disappeared. However, Catherine died a few weeks later of a stroke. Now, what would have made a really good movie ending, though, is if she died a few weeks later of a gunshot wound, and when they retrieved the bullet, it was the same bullet that was shot from two weeks earlier. Now, another famous person who had a doppelganger experience was Percy Bysshe Shelley. Now, he was a poet, a quite a renowned poet, the husband to Mary Shelley, who was the creator of the novel Frankenstein. Um, well, apparently, um, Percy Shelley had a number of doppelganger situations. And it was something that would pop up in his poetry, in particular Prometheus Unbound. Um, there's a scene in which he talks about meeting oneself in a garden. Well, Percy actually had a similar experience in which he's in the garden one sunny day, and um, a shadowy double walks up to him and says to him, cryptically and, and rather forebodingly, how long do you mean to be content? Now, I, I think that these types of supernatural events, um, when, when ghosts and doppelgangers and things say these things that are, that are difficult to analyze and understand, I think that's when they're creepiest. So sure, you know, this could be attributed to grief because it was only a few weeks prior to this incident that his wife, Mary, um, nearly died of a miscarriage. Or it could be that, you know, Percy wasn't exactly the kind of guy who was opposed to using opium now and again. And, you know, it might be a combination of those things. He might have experienced this. Um, and that's all possible, except there's one little twist. And that is a friend of theirs, a poet, Jane Williams, um, was hanging out at the, the Shelley place. And she was in, you know, one of the rooms upstairs in the, like the drawing room or something like that. And there's a little terrace out in a little window that looks out um, into the garden. And outside, she sees Percy walk on the terrace by the window. And she sees him do this twice. 
And the weird thing is, is both times it's in the same direction. So let's say he's heading south. He walks by the window, heading south. Walks by the window, heading south. She never sees him return. Just sees him going. And then he, all of a sudden he's going in. Now it's not a, a big terrace. It's not like it's a wraparound terrace. She, she would have seen him walk back past it. So she goes to investigate. She opens up um, the little terrace door and there's nobody out there. Now it's like a 20 foot drop down. So she was like petrified that um, he jumped. Um, but he was gone. Now, the thing is, though, is that it was then later discovered that, that Percy um, was actually nowhere near that terrace when she experienced it. So it might be that Percy's doppelganger was hanging around. But this supernatural tale doesn't end there because it wasn't long after that that Shelley is hanging out on a terrace and he's looking into the water and he sees a naked child rise up with its hands clasped. And later that night, he then has a dream that his house floods and collapsed. And then, not long after that, Percy Shelley dies in a boating accident. Now, most of the doppelganger stories that I came across really do sound like something that you'd see on a Twilight Zone episode. You know, there was one, you know, a woman's having tea with her friend and, and you know, sitting and talking about this, that, and the other thing. And then they find out later that the person she was having tea with had died, you know, roughly around the same time. Now, I did come across kind of a weird story about a school teacher named Emily Segui, and it, it said that, that whenever she would leave the class, I, actually, I don't know if it's whenever, but periodically when she would leave the class, um, a doppelganger would appear. It would be a, a paler, gauntler version of her, but it would sort of, as if it was watching over the class, which would kind of freak out the kids, because, you know, teacher just left, but all of a sudden there's teacher still there. Now, it was rumored that some of the children tried to touch her, and when they did, their hands would pass through her, and it was said to feel like a, a thick cloth. Now, what Emily Segui would say later about this is that when these sort of things would happen, she would feel drained, like part of her had been sucked out, probably because part of her had been sucked out. Now, I'm not sure what happens, supposedly happens, um, in the story after this. Um, I did hear that she was fired, um, so that might be the omen that the doppelganger was, was there to mention. There is a really awesome painting from about the mid-1800s called How They Met Themselves, and it's by um, Dante Gabriel Rossetti. Um, now, this is a watercolor, and it's a, of a medieval couple, and it's as if they're, you know, been strolling through the woods, and all of a sudden, they, they seem to have come across themselves. It's sort of an alternate, otherworldly them, and, and the, the others, the other version of them, um, is sort of distinguished. They're, they're identical, except for this weird golden glow around them. Now, in the scene, the real woman faints, and meanwhile, her husband is busy drawing his sword. And, and when you look at it, it's like the glowy couple are, are, are kind of calm and almost like they're ready to replace their counterparts. But, but it is interesting because, like, at this time, the, you know, this does seem, this idea of doppelgangers and doubles does seem to be something that is somewhat prevalent and believed, or at least, you know, heard about in legend. Now, I was trying to think 
if personally I've had any experiences like this, if I've ever come across something, you know, about, you know, like a double, if I have ever seen a double, and I can't, I can't say that I have. I don't think that I've ever experienced it. I think the closest that I had um, was a dream. Okay, okay. I mean, Kami, it wasn't a dream. Um, I was actually on magic mushrooms, and I walked into a bathroom, and I looked at myself in the mirror, which, by the way, they say you should never do. But it was weird, because it was sort of like the experience that, that like, when I heard the story of Goethe, you know, riding on his little horse and seeing himself, it was that kind of experience, because it seemed like the other me was me, um, but a separate entity, a separate being, not like my reflection, not like a projection of me, but it was me, but separate. And by the way, this experience, I suppose, make is what makes me a little bit dubious of some of the experiences that Percy Shelley had, uh, because, you know, if if he was a renowned user of, of opiates, you, you could see, like, you know, well, maybe you would have a conversation with yourself. Maybe you would separate psychologically. But then I started thinking about dreams in general. But in particular, those dreams, um, not the ones in which you're seeing things through your eyes, but rather the ones where you're sort of hovering above yourself, essentially a separate person. And typically, it's in those types of dreams that I find myself doing things that I wouldn't normally do. Partially, I, I would imagine, because you're you're sort of watching yourself do it. So uh, you're like, oh, well, why am I doing that? And you're sort of judging yourself as an outsider. In some cases, I actually sort of think that it would be sort of the feeling that that couple in the, the doppelganger painting that I was mentioning, it's almost as if I was the doppelganger. I was the intruder. I was the one sneaking in on somebody else's life, actually sneaking in on my own life. Which makes me kind of wonder if maybe some of these tales and legends and stories um, aren't somehow associated with the versions of ourself that walk through dreams and, and nightmares. Something to ponder. So talk amongst yourselves or talk amongst yourself. That's it for this week's episode, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to pop in again. There's going to be new tales of myth and magic popping up in the future. So uh, tell your friends. That's always helpful. And um, if you're interested, stop by my website, www.michaeldebing.com, and you can see some of the artwork that I create that might relate to what we're talking about. And if you want to delve a little further into the topic, I'll have blog posts that relate to each of these podcasts. So until we meet again... I'll be missing you.